So for the last few weeks, we've been in this series, uh, Reseeing Jesus, spending time again uh, in this season of Epiphany. And for those of you who don't know about Epiphany, Epiphany is this season that the church has set aside right after Christmas to, again, come to the Gospels and to listen again who Jesus is, to spend time reseeing him. And I've been thinking some about this, too, and uh, this idea of Epiphany. And oftentimes we use the word, you know, I had an epiphany, I had a, a realization. And that's what this season is about, is having an epiphany again, realizing who Jesus is in our lives. Well, this last week I've been uh, studying Jesus, seeking him through his words when he said, I am the light of the world. And I have to be honest, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. It's, it's a lot broader and still not totally <laughs> clear on on Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world. I mean, I, I understand it vaguely. I mean, God who lightens the world, who enlightens us, but I still, like, what did Jesus, what do you mean when you say, I'm the light of the world? When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and whoever comes to me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I, what, what does that mean? I don't know, have you ever thought about that? Have you read John's Gospel and wondered, you know, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Even as you think of it now, you know, I mean, because light is such a broad term, but Jesus, what, what do you mean when you say you're the light of the world? And it's an important question. I mean, one, because Jesus said it, so we want to understand it. But also, two, because after he said it, the Pharisees began to challenge him on it. It says, Who, under whose authority do you say these things? You know, you testify about this about yourself, but where's your other, where's your other witness? So there's something about this when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that leads to some controversy. So if you would look in your Bibles with me uh, to John chapter 7, verse 37 and 44. Also, it's in your bulletins too. Um, this is, uh, we're going to be reading 37 to 44, but then also 8, 12, and to jump just a bit. So if you would read with me. On the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom, whose, uh, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, Jesus, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some people said to him, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ, or the Messiah. Still others asked, how can this Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that Christ will, will come from, one of, from David's family and from uh, Bethlehem, <clears throat> the town where David lived? Thus people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. When Jesus had spoken again to the people, he said, I am the light, sorry, I'm jumping to John 8:12. So when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. <clears throat> so we're here, and I don't know if you caught this, but what's the setting of Jesus saying these things? Did you catch that? Is that verse 37? Right, feast. The Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. Jesus is here at this feast, and, and he's talking about water. 
Now, before we get into that, though, it's important to understand that there were three feasts each year when the people of Israel would gather around the temple. People would come, I mean, from, from the land of, of Israel, but also they would come from further away, too, Jews who lived, say, in Egypt or in Damascus or modern-day Turkey. People, they would come, make pilgrimage to, to the temple to celebrate these feasts. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles is, is a special feast, too. It's the, it's the third of the three where everyone would gather together. They would gather together and they would celebrate God's faithfulness. They would celebrate the fact that the harvest had come and, and praise God for what he'd been doing. So not only is this feast a great celebration of God's faithfulness, but it's also this time when they would build Sukkot or they would build these huts. We call them tabernacles, but often we use tabernacle, we think of like temple. But, but early, when the people were in the desert, ta- tabernacle was like a tent. And so they would build these shelters to remember God's faithfulness when the people were in the desert, when the people of God were, had come out of Egypt, God had saved them, and they were walking through the desert for 40 years to remember God's faithfulness in this time. But there's also lots of other interesting things about it. One is, too, is that they would have a water ceremony each day. In some ways, recalling the time when the people came and said, you know, we're without water, we're going to die here. And Moses strikes the rock at Meribah and the water comes out and God provides. And so they're here and each day what they would do, each morning, the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would gather water. And you can see, this, this is a picture of it or like a, an artist's idea of it, but it was this huge celebration. People would go down and the priests would gather the water and they would bring it back to the temple. And they would pour it as a drink offering to the Lord. They'd pour it over the altar. And they would, in a sense, they'd be saying, thank you, God, for the rains that you provided, for the harvest that we've had this year. And also, in another sense, they'd be praying, asking God to provide water again for the coming year. This whole life revolved around God. And so they were praising God for his faithfulness. But it's interesting, too, over the years, more like centuries, people, this idea, this, this prophetic element became a part of it, too. There's, Ezekiel talked about it, too. He said that one day, water will run out from the temple and it will bring life everywhere. The water will teem with fish. It will become a river. And the trees that grow along it, they will never die. Their fruit will never go rotten and their leaves will be used for healing. Sounds similar to what John saw in Revelation when he saw water coming out from the throne of God. A tree that provided life and healing for people. So there's this idea of water and people would celebrate and it's it's a joyful time. So all this talk and this, this ceremony around water each morning, you can imagine how important or how poignant it becomes when Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me. Whoever believes in me, as it says in scriptures, will have living water flow from within them. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what John, kind of in his little um, paraphrase, tells us. But imagine this huge ceremony where people are celebrating water. Celebrating, not water, sorry, celebrating God and using water as a part of it. And then Jesus stands up and says, who's ever thirsty, let them come to me that he may drink. So that's the first part. That's what happens in the mornings of 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 the festival. But also, too, there's more to it than that. Because each night they would have a huge uh, party, a huge celebration. And so what they would do is they would light huge candles in the temple court, like, you know, 20, 30 feet up. 
and they would light these huge candles. And it was in the court of the women. And it, like, you know, the writings at the time, you know, they found uh, fragments of stuff that said that, you know, all of Jerusalem would be lit by the light at the temple. There were so many people celebrating. And, and the priests and the Levites and the people, they would sing and they would, they would play music and they would just celebrate. Even the priests, they would, this is sort of, it's interesting, the stories I was reading about, they would, you know, these kind of older, dignified, wise men, they would juggle and they would sing and they would dance. And it was, I mean, it's just like a carnival. And you can just imagine, I don't, I don't know, I'm wondering how many of, of our seniors are jugglers. Anybody? <laughs> but they would celebrate what God was doing. They would celebrate what God had done and they looked forward to what God would do again. So it's interesting, and they would do this like right through the night. I was reading one uh, Jewish text that was talking about they would party, they would celebrate right through the night, and then they had they talked about they didn't have enough time to recoup to have the water ceremony again in the morning, just of how much celebration was going on. So it's in this context, sorry, it's in this context, this light, this the temple lit with candles, huge candles, that Jesus stands up and says, "I." I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You can imagine the energy and the, and the, the, the level of excitement that was happening, and then you have Jesus stand up and say, I, I am the light of the world. So you can see, as Jesus here at this Feast of Tabernacles, here he says, Who's ever thirsty, let them come to me. Maybe during the morning, during the water festival, or during the water ceremony. And then at night, when everyone is celebrating, he's saying, I, I am the light of the world. So that's, I mean, even if we were to stop here and you just, uh, just kind of see Jesus in this light, as he's here at this festival, explaining to people who he is, or talking about who, is, who he really is. Even if we were to stop there, that would be great to go home and chew on. But... Like I said, we're after this idea or after this question of Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What did he mean by that? I mean, what really does he mean? Because I mean, we kind of get the vague sense, like it's good for us, but what does he mean? And it's interesting because as I've been studying this, it's not as easy as I thought, like I mentioned earlier. Because light is a pretty broad concept in Scripture. I mean, it's in the laws and the prophets, it's in the writings. Isaiah, he talked about a light to the Gentiles. Psalms talked about light. Even, even Matthew says that, actually referring to Jesus when he's teaching, says that you are the light of the world. You, disciples, you're the light of the world. Light is this theme, this broad theme that runs through Scripture. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. Well, I thought maybe we could start with actual, actually looking at Jesus' words, focusing in on what he says. Let's start there. So, it's interesting, in, in English it says, I am the light of the world. But in Greek, it says, ego, a me. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. It says, I, I am the light of the world. This is the Greek sort of translation of ani, anihu, the Hebrew word that God would say, he would use throughout scripture referring to himself, I, I am he. In Isaiah, he talks about, I, I am he who blots out your sin. 
I, I am he who comforts you. But Jesus is using this language that God uses to see that Jesus is not just a prophet, that he's Messiah, yes, but also that he is the Son of God, that he is standing alongside God the Father in who he is. Now, we hear this and we say, oh, interesting. But in Jesus' day, when Jesus said, I, I am he, I mean, when, the, when they'd come to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest him, and they said, we're looking for this man, and he says, I, I am he, all the soldiers fall down to the ground. In Mark's Gospel, when Jesus is on trial, and he says, are you the Son of the Most High? Jesus says, I, I am he, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and they tear their robes. When Jesus says, I, I am he, that is significant. That's a big deal. That's Jesus saying, I, I am not just another man. I'm the Son of God. So Jesus says, I, I am he, and he says, I am the light of the world. Not just a light, not just one light among many lights, but the light. Now this is harder for us, maybe for some of us. You know, our culture is right now, it's really awkward to say that there's one truth. I mean, we live in a time where people say, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and we can just agree to have our own truths. Even if they totally disagree, we just say, yeah, they're both true and let's just not argue. So it seems to narrow down. Jesus doesn't live in this time. He's speaking the truth. He says, I am the light. Not just one option among many, but the light of the world. And as narrow as this gets in Jesus... The next thing he says is, I am the light of the whole world. Actually, in Greek, he says the whole cosmos, all of creation. I'm the light of all of creation. Not just a special group, not just a special group of really religious people. He's not just the light of even the people of Israel. He is the light of the cosmos, of the entire world, including us, including people we know, including even the people we think like, oh, they have no chance. Jesus is the light of the cosmos. Now, so we kind of hearing who Jesus is, the Son of God, who is the light, the one and only light of the entire cosmos, the entire world. But what does that mean for us, right? What does this mean for us? This is the question that we're after today. Jesus says he is the world. What does it mean for us? The first thing he says is that he explains it for us. He says that whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness. Now that's good news. It's good news for those of us in an objective sense. We live in a world of darkness. I mean, it's not totally dark. There is light. God's kingdom is here and is starting and growing in places. You are light on a hill. But there's also lots of darkness. When Jesus says you will never walk in darkness, I think the first thing I hear him saying is that no longer will you be duped by this world. He will shine light that we will see this world for what it really is. You see, it's only in the darkness, it's only in the darkness that people say that life is all about um, what your stuff or how much stuff you have. It's only in the darkness 
that people can say that life is only about how successful you've been in your life. It's only in the darkness that people can say that, that good is bad and bad is actually good. And then if you don't get that, then you're just too old-fashioned. It's only in darkness that people say that truth, regardless of how true it is, if you impose it on someone else, it's intolerance. It's only in darkness do they say that, you know, more war will eventually lead to peace. So we need light to shine in the darkness, to show the world for what it is. And Jesus does this. So the light shines into the world and reveals it for what it is, that we can see it for what it is. But I also hear Jesus speaking to us personally, not just objectively in terms of shining light on the world, but also shining light on us. As I was reading this, a few times I heard the words of, the Isaiah, of Isaiah the prophet, who said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I hear Jesus also talking about light in the sense that darkness is like depression. Darkness is like this burden. This burden that weighs you down. This burden that breaks your heart. This burden that makes you question if there's even hope. Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light who will lead you through this darkness. Lead you through this darkness like a pillar of fire at night. You don't know where you're going. You don't get a map. It's not easy or necessarily clear, but he leads. He guides us. If we'll just follow him. I hear Jesus speaking to us personally too. That not only is he the light of the world, but he's also the light of our world. The light for us. Guiding us. So he says, those who follow me will never walk in darkness. But then he says this great thing. He says, they will have the light of life. They will have life more full. Not life plastic with that fake grin that you put on to make everybody think that everything's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about life more full. Life filled with more joy. Life filled with more sorrow. Life filled with more compassion, life filled with more love. You know, I see people, I, even in my own life, tempted, you know, when life was hard and my heart was broken, to stop feeling, to stop, to shut my heart off and to try and live life about like this. Never really happy, but never really sad or, or heartbroken either. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. Life where you have joy. Your heart is soft. You have great joy and content, but also you feel sorrow too. Yet in the midst of this heartbreak, you still have hope because of who Jesus is. This is the life that I hear Jesus talking about throughout John's Gospel. When he says zoe, it's the Greek word for life. He's not just talking about getting by, paying your bills, making it to next weekend. He's saying living life more full. Not that it's easy. You know, I, I want to dispel any idea or any... Uh, misunderstanding that being a follower of Jesus is easy. In fact, he said it's going to be hard. It's not easy, but it's good. 
Jesus says, I am giving you light. This, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness, but your life will be lit up. Some of you are maybe thinking, okay, it's interesting, Jason, how do I get this life? I mean, what do I do? This, this sounds good. It sounds better than where I'm at. I want this life. It's easy. Well, easy to do. <laughs> easy to start. Yeah. Believing in the one that he sent. Believing in the one who has been sent to us, the Son, Jesus. Believing into him. Believing in, into him is sort of John's way of saying, devoting your life to following him. Devote your life to following Jesus. Now, some of you have been following Jesus for decades. This week, I want you to do one thing. Devote your life to following Jesus. Even if you've been doing it for decades, this week again, devote your life to following Jesus. And some of you maybe are still wondering about Jesus. You still have questions about him. This week, or actually right now, I'm saying take that first step. Devote your life to following him. I know some of you might be thinking, how am I, where does it go? What's each step? What's the plan? Where's the map? There isn't one. It's not easy, but it's good. So this, today, this morning, I'm asking each of us for this week to devote our lives to following Jesus. Again. Because he is the light of life light of the world. Whoever believes in him will never walk in darkness. Even though there's darkness all around us, he will guide us through. He will guide us through to the light of life. Amen.